Well, someone made a nice comment to me about the 7 p.m. Christmas Eve service. She said, it was so wonderful to see the church full again, which is almost an exact quote from the 2016 Journal of Lutheran Mission, which discusses the decline not only of the LCMS, but all the Christian denominations in America. Now you can read this 132 page journal online or you can have me spoil it for you in mere seconds right here right now. Do you want to know, would you like to know the, the number one reason for declining church membership? Yeah, you do, don't you? Alright, here it is. Low fertility among church members. That's it. Which means, if you want to see the church full again, you all got to start having babies again. Yeah. And since I'm your pastor I lead, and I lead by example, then Jill and I got to get with the program again, don't we? Now that reason might seem like it's not completely the case since we do have new babies in this church. Most of them come to the, the 1045 service, but they're here. But according to the research, if today was January 1st, 1967, instead of 2017, there would be a lot more babies in the church. In fact, the uh, pictorial directory from 1972 bears that out. But things have changed since the 1970s. Fewer couples in the church are having children. And when they do, they have only one or two rather than five or seven and they have them more later in life. And I think most of, this, most of us know this already. I mean, some of you were here in 1967, right? And have watched this change happen before your very eyes. And so it only follows that the church is going to experience this in its membership. Fewer kids being raised in the church to resupply the members. That's what it boils down to, apparently. Not as many kids being brought to God's house like as pictured on the cover of your worship folder today. Take a look at that. I know it's black and white, it's kind of fuzzy, but Jennifer selects these pictures for you. I don't do that part, but she picked a perfect one for today. That's a picture not only of what happened to Jesus eight days after he was born, it's also a picture of life in the church. Now, what would the research have shown about membership in the church in Judea in the time of Augustus Caesar? Well, it wouldn't have been the Christian church yet, but Israel. It would have been the population of all believers in the God of Jacob, Abraham, and David, and who worshipped in the temple or, or their local synagogue, waiting for the promised Messiah. Well, considering Mary was all of what? 14 or 15 years old when she was with Joseph, it would seem couples back then weren't waiting to finish their master's degree or reach a certain salary level in their career or, or own just the right-sized home before deciding to raise a family. Back then, all of your major milestones in life were compressed into a, a 30 or maybe 40-year span. But despite all the differences between then and now, one thing has remained since the infant Lord came to His temple. 
And that is the Holy Spirit continues to bring babies and children and the children of God of all ages to Himself. And if Jesus doesn't return before January 1st, 2117, you can be sure that babies and people will continue to be brought into a relationship with God because the Lord and the church prevails. It prevails despite however humans are managing society. The Lord prevails and He lives among us even as He is now at the right hand of God the Father. In our text today from Luke, there's a familiar happening going on here. God relocates Himself as He dwells with His people. In the early days, God led His people Israel out of Egypt as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, right? And God was visible that way too when He set up residence in the, uh, over and inside the tabernacle as He was with His people as they wandered through the desert. He relocated Himself into the temple in Jerusalem when it was built. But God promised one day to set up permanent residence with all people of the earth in His Son, Jesus. And that's what happened on Christmas. Still, He continued to locate Himself where people would meet and greet Him. And that's what happens here when God comes back to His temple. There's so much going on here in Luke chapter 2 with baby Jesus after Christmas. So much fulfillment going on. First of all, he circumcised according to the laws of Moses in order to receive all the benefits under the old system of being incorporated into the people of God, including the forgiveness of sin, which is interesting because Jesus has no sin, right? And he's never going to commit a sin. Yet he still receives the sign of the promise that he fulfills. His circumcision is also the first time he sheds his blood, which is a foreshadowing of what is to come. He fulfills his promise as the sacrifice of all mankind, the lamb with no defect, who bears the sins of all people. Then you have his name given to him, which means he will save his people from their sins. So eight days after his birth, his destiny of atonement is revealed in his name and a circumcision. Thirty-three days later, Joseph and Mary present him at the temple in Jerusalem. They bring Jesus to his true home. So I stand corrected. The picture there on the cover, it was not eight days after his birth. It was 33 days later. And so you have Simeon there at the temple. Now, what's with this guy? Why is he, ho- why is he so happy? Why is he, why is he even there? Well, Simeon is a devout Israelite and it appears that he hangs out at the temple a lot because he's a very devout worshiper. And there's no doubt that he's spirit-led to be there, right? The Holy Spirit has got a hold of this guy, Simeon. He's got a hold of his heart and he receives this revelation. As he takes the infant Jesus into his arms, he blesses God by announcing that salvation is here For everyone to see in this boy, Jesus. 
And Mary and Joseph look on and wonder. I mean, they've been through a lot already. They've seen a lot already by this time. But you can imagine what's going on in, in their heart and mind during this time. It wasn't like, you know, hey, creepy guy, get your hands off my kid. You know, it was just the opposite. Think about when you brought your children to the waters of baptism here. And what a wonderful event that was in their life. But what if the pastor or an elder had snatched your son and lifted him out and lifted him up in, in, into the air and started into this song of revelation? I mean, that would have been a bit odd, wouldn't it? But my point is, is that we sometimes read and hear these accounts of Jesus from Scripture and we think, oh, well, they all knew what they were doing. You know, they all knew that was going to happen and that was part of the plan and all that. Not necessarily so. It would have been an amazing and wonderful thing to see. And Joseph and Mary were amazed. They watched on in amazement as they saw these things. Then Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph and the event here, the scene kind of takes a rather foreboding or somber note because this, this somber note is given in the midst of all the joy and happiness. Speaking to Mary, Simeon prophesizes about what's going to happen to Jesus. There's a reason why he's been born into poverty, born into a humble estate with strips of cloth as his, as his clothes. This child is destined to be spoken against. He's destined to be opposed. Not only by his, his own people, but the whole world. I mean, think about today. Not everyone loves and believes in Jesus today, do they? And notice it says the offering or sacrifice the parents are to bring when they present their firstborn to the Lord is a couple of birds. But Luke doesn't say if that happened or not. Now we can assume that because Mary and Joseph are following the law of Moses that they did that. But there's no mention of a sacrifice. There's no mention of a sacrificial offering at Jesus' presentation because Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the lamb, the final sacrifice. And what about this sword that will pierce Mary's soul? Well, we might hear this and think that that is referring to the fact that Mary will be sad at Jesus' death on the cross and that she doesn't want to hear this, this foreboding news. And this cuts to her heart. And she grieves or something like that. But Luke actually provides us the interpretation. See, if the sword-piercing Mary refers only to her own suffering, it's hard then to see how this will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. However, if the sword is Jesus' message, his preaching, which pierces Israel, then it makes more sense and has a much larger meaning and implication for all of us because his word goes out to the whole world and cuts to the heart, doesn't it? Mary, the woman, will fear the pain of Jesus' words, especially the ones about his crucifixion and death, but his words of revelation will cut through the hearts of all people. It'll cause huge upheavals in Israel. And he'll be the center of dispute for the rest of human history. 
I mean, look at where he stands now with today's society. Like I said before, not everybody loves him. And as if to confirm Simeon's words are true, you've got this prophetess Anna. She carries out the same blessed task the shepherds did on the night Jesus was born. She tells people what happened. She goes out and announces what's going on. She told people the Messiah is here. And then the scene ends with God relocating again to Nazareth, which will be his hometown. And this is where he'll grow, become strong, be filled with wisdom, and the grace of God will be upon him. He'll return to his temple again when he's 12 years old, and we'll pick up the story there with him too later on. But for now, think on this. So we're having fewer kids today in the church than 40 years ago. And the church struggles and thinks when it thinks back to a more glorious time when it seemed that there were more believers and more people coming to church and more people being saved. There's not much we can do about that. We can't all start getting back into the game and having, making more kids to fill the pews. For some of us, that's physically impossible. It would require immaculate conception by the Holy Spirit on a grand scale. Now, church growth or replenishment is up to the new generation, which by the looks of it, <laughs> they ain't in no hurry either. And that's just the way things are now. They've learned the importance of waiting for marriage and children and getting good jobs that pay well and smartly managing their lives. They, get that, they got that from us. But they also learned the importance of believing in Jesus and bringing newborn children to Him. This is important to every one of us. So even if you and I aren't making new children anymore, we continue to support the ministry here that seeks to bring new ones of all ages into a relationship with Jesus. And keep in mind also the meaning of Jesus being brought to His temple. He's the temple now. This church isn't necessarily the new temple. Jesus is the temple. And wherever you and I are, that's where Jesus is. Which doesn't mean we need you know, we don't need the church anymore. Just the opposite. The church carries out Jesus' ministry. You and I do that together. That babies and people of all ages get baptized and get saved. Receive His body of blood for forgiveness of their sin. Hear His word and are loved by all the people. Every year the things Jesus does for people in and through His church fulfill so much more than any one person's New Year's resolution. And that is good news at the beginning of this, good, of this new year. So, may, be it so may it be so for you and your families. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.